last week we started this series, Ben started this series with you, uh, titled When Jesus Went to Church, and we're studying these, the churches in Revelation, the beginning of Revelation, when Jesus literally went to churches, and, and he told them what was good about their churches, told them what was bad and what they needed to do next, right, and how they could do better or improve, and, and, and um, if you've been in the church longer than, than me, right, or remember when I started here, you will also probably remember that we've studied these churches before. In fact, when I started Oregon Trail, the very first message series that we did, that I did as your pastor at Oregon Trail, was, was studying these churches. That was in the summer of 2015. And when we started uh, this study at that time, that it was titled, uh, What If Jesus Went to Church? And, and we, uh, as a church, came to a time of prayer and, and seeking the Lord about what was next for this next season. And out of that series came what we know now as our vision and our core values, and those that we have lived out since then, right, and continue to live out, and seeing God use and, and bless as, as he has transformed our, our hearts and our, and our lives and our church, and, and we have seen a lot of changes since then. We've seen a lot of blessings, we've seen a lot of growth within the church, but, and now we are coming back to it again because I feel like we need to come with fresh eyes to these scriptures and re-examine what God wants for the next phase of Oregon Trail. And we, like I said, we've come a long ways. We've seen God do a lot of things in these, these past years, and, and which is why this time as we look at this study, it's titled, When Jesus Went to Church. Because we have seen God move. We've seen his hand. We, we know that God is here, and yet um, we still have questions, but they're different questions this time. Right? We, we know our vision, we know we have our core values that we're standing firm on, that we are moving forward in our journey, and yet now we have the questions of what is next. This is not only about the, the last six years of Oregon Trail's history and, and the years that came before that, but we know that not just in that time, but especially in the last 18 months, everything has changed. Right? And, and as we know that and realize we are seeking the Lord, even in the midst of this time, even just as I've said right now, it feels like our whole world is in chaos. Right? And, and when we look at that, we also, though, can, can rely on the promises of God. Right? In fact, um, with our, our theme verse for this series comes out of Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. And these words were given to Israel in a time of crazy chaos in their history. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And in the midst of this time, not just in, in the, just the, the time of our own church, community, and family, but, but just this time of, of, of our of our community, of our, of our nation, right, of our world, that, that it feels like there's all kinds of chaos. And yet, this promise is still true. Right? God knows us, and he has a plan for us, a plan for hope and a future. And, and yet, we also have a role in that plan, right? We need to pray, and we need to seek the Lord wholeheartedly. Right? And, and that's what my hope is is for this series, is that we as a church can, can, can pray. And I know we already do, but I, I want us to, to call us specifically to prayer, right, through this season and this study. 
prayer about what is next in my own life, what is next within our church, what, could, what do we need to accomplish together in our community, right, to expand the kingdom of God. And we will seek the Lord, right, through this time, as we always should. Like I said, Ben shared last week about the church in Ephesus and how we need to keep God on the throne. We cannot get distracted from what really matters. And what really matters is Christ being first in everything. And in the midst of everything happening in our lives, that we, our love cannot grow cold. And now this week, we're moving on to the next church that is described, and that is the church of Smyrna. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 through 11. If you're here with us in person, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats. You're welcome to use if you don't have your own. If you're with us online, maybe you have a Bible close to you. We'll open up to Revelation chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have your own Bible, you can listen as I read it. But we're going to read verses 8 through 11. It says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is a message from the one who is first and the last, who was dead, but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. So as we look at this this church that is addressed here from Jesus, and Jesus shows up, and, and just like many of the other churches, just like we saw last week, he, he has some good things to say about this church, and, and he also has some not-so-great news. Right? And, and yet, he, Jesus also gives them some, some action steps, some advice on, on what to do next. And so, uh, when we start off, again, this morning, looking at what is the good that this church has. The, the good for the church in Smyrna is that they are rich. The good is they're rich. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says. It's literally translated with an exclamation point, right? You are rich. Now, the interesting thing about this, though, is that we have to ask the question, rich in what? Because Jesus already acknowledges it was not money. But he says, in fact, that's the, the opening line, right? He says, you're suffering and you're in poverty. So they're obviously not rich economically, are they? Right? They're suffering. They are, they are at the poverty line, right? And yet Jesus tells them that they are rich. So he's obviously not talking about money. Right? And yet when you look at this Again, the word that Jesus uses here for rich, right, in the Greek language, the, the literal translation of the word that is translated as rich here is abounding with, right, meaning having an excess. Right, now, they, we see it was not money, so what is it? It's, now, again, this word doesn't specifically reference money. When we hear the word rich, that's automatically what our minds go to, right, is we're rich with money. But it's a much broader term than that. It's not just about the balance in your bank account, right, or your net worth. It, it, it's, it, anything can, can be in abundance in your life, right, not just 
money. And obviously Jesus is addressing something different. They, we can infer here from Jesus' comments that, that they were, uh, they were ab- abounding, abounding in God's presence. Right? In, in God's will, in God's power, in his touch. They were abounding in, in God's help and his presence. Right? As we look at this, we, we see that this church was in contrast to the city. When you look at the historical city of Smyrna, we learn that Smyrna was a very prosperous city. It was a rich city in terms of money. And yet, the church is, finds itself in poverty. So obviously, the, the Christians here in this church, they were being cut off from the area's wealth. But one way, again, I believe that this church was being openly persecuted for their allegiance to Christ. It wasn't that the community was, didn't have money. In fact, they did. It was a very prosperous city. But as we all know, right, there are some, even in a prosperous community, there are some that have it and there are some that don't. Right? And, and this church didn't have it. And yet Jesus tells them they're rich. Right? They, were, they were suffering. I mean, Jesus says they were, and this is probably one of the many ways that they were suffering. When we think about this idea, this concept of, can I be rich and have no money in my bank account? Right? And, and, and of course, Jesus is inferring you absolutely can. Right, not rich in money, but just rich in other things, right? It's having an abundance in your life in different ways. We see Paul addresses this in his letter to the Philippians. Right? This idea, this concept of can I be rich and not have any money, right? It, as he says in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. He says, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now again, this Philippians 4.13, this last phrase, right, is a very famous verse. It's one that, that lots of people like, right? It's, it's on, on the wall in your house, right? People have it tattooed on their arm. I mean, this, this verse is one that we see everywhere, right? But yet, it's interesting when you look at the context of that statement, isn't it? Right, literally, Paul, the buildup to that statement of, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, right, is the worldly stuff doesn't change my perspective. Right? I am blessed whether I am hungry or I'm starving. Right? Whether I have excess money or I'm in poverty. Right? Is, he says, I've learned to be content no matter the situation. And what's the key to that contentment? Doing anything through Christ who gives me strength. Right? I mean, uh, when you look at the context, it's, it, there's... It's even a bigger reason of why we should love that verse, right? It's a great verse. Again, it's famous for good reason, but, but I think we need to understand, right, that the, the, the bigger picture concept that Paul's communicating with it. Now, obviously, within this city, they were dealing with some pretty heavy stuff. 
Again, Jesus is very, in very clear and blunt language, calls out what's happening in the city right? and what the people in this church are dealing with. He literally says, right, that the, the people, the synagogue in this community belongs to Satan, right? This is one of those moments where you're like, well, I wonder what he really means. Right? I mean, that's very strong language. And yet, we also see this bigger picture as, we, as this is kind of the, the intro, right, into the revelation, right, into the tribulation and the end times and, and all of this bigger vision that God has given John that he's writing down, and yet we see here this is the first time in Revelation that the real enemy is ever referenced. Now, if you continue to read on through Revelation, you'll notice that he becomes a pretty central figure, right? But this is the first place he is referenced in the entire book. Now, here Jesus, as he describes this church, he also draws a line in the sand. He alludes to the bigger battle that's really going on between him and his arch enemy, and he clearly identifies the two sides. Right? And in fact, he commends this church of saying, you guys are on the right side of it, right? You are with me because you're rich. And yet he also identifies there are others, even within the religious community here, that are not on the right side. And he calls them out as false teachers. By saying that their synagogue is not of me, it is in fact the complete opposite. It is the synagogue of Satan. As we look at this bigger battle, this, this, this line in the sand that Jesus draws, we, we learn again how much, and we, the lesson we already know, right, is that this isn't really about money. They are rich and not, but yet the, the city was rich, right? And, and yet we also know, and we already know this in our lives, that money can certainly be a huge distraction, right? And a place that the enemy loves to attack. And that, again, comes down to perspective. Right? It was easy for, and that's what Jesus was teaching, trying to teach this church, right? Is get the right perspective, Right? You are suffering, you are in poverty, and yet you are rich. And, and that is a concept that, that even applied to money right, that we need to learn. Because there is a big difference between being broke and being poor. There's a big difference between being broke and being poor. Right? One of them, literally you can be broke, is when your bank account is at zero. Right, but that is literally just broke is about what's in your bank account. Right? Poor is a mentality. It, it is a heart perspective. Right? And, and Jesus is trying to get them and us to realize that no matter what the details of your life are, as a follower of Jesus, you are never poor. Let me say that again. As a follower of Jesus, no matter the details of your life, you are never poor. You might be broke, but you're not poor. Right? You have God with you. Through it all, God is with you. He can take care of all the details, whether it's the financial details or otherwise, God can handle it. No matter what your situation looks like, you are 
rich, just like the church of Smyrna. Even when you're suffering, even when you're broke, even when you're sick, you can still be rich. You are rich if you're walking with Jesus. Right? And that's the deciding factor. And that's the core of our faith, is that you have received Christ as your Savior. You invited him into your life. You received his, his grace and his forgiveness as you've confessed your sins. You've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And what was once dead is now alive. And the only way that happens is by receiving Jesus as your Savior. And if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, right, you might be rich financially, but you're still poor. And yet, if you have received Christ as your Savior, then even when we suffer, we can come to life with a different perspective. Right? And, and which leads us to that we realize, right, the bad part about the church of Smyrna, right? And that was their suffering. They were suffering. I mean, Jesus calls it out, right, in the very first line. Right? This is not good, right? They're suffering. Not only was Smyrna a very affluent town and community, it was also known as the center of emperor worship. There were temples built in the city specifically for the worship of the active Roman ruler. And if they didn't participate in the ceremony and declare that Caesar is Lord, they would be subject to imprisonment, torture, and even death. Now, this obviously raised a big problem for those who declare Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord because it would be in direct conflict to their faith to declare Caesar as Lord. And so they were put in a very tough place. But yet, the concept that they were faced with is exactly the same concept we are faced with every day in 2021 in America. And that is what is going to be the Lord of our life. Right, for them, it was clearly laid out that they were supposed to declare Caesar as their Lord. And if they didn't, they would be persecuted. I mean, literally persecuted. I mean, cut off, you know, economically, all those things, right? And, and yet, we, in our American culture, right, live in freedom, knowing that we can declare anything as our Lord, and it doesn't supposedly affect our freedom. Right, which is, is a huge blessing, right? And one of the, the reasons that we are rich, right? And, and yet, right, we see in our world today that we worship a lot of things other than God. Right? And, and we, we declare, declare lordship in our life right, through our actions, through our activities through the way we spend our money and the way we spend our time and the way we spend our allegiance. That truly shows what is Lord of your life. Notice as we look at everything that is said here in Smyrna, I want to direct our attention back to verse 8, right? The, the opening intro to the letter. Right? Notice 
who this message is from, right? Jesus self-identifies himself as the one who is the first and the last, meaning he is declaring his own lordship. He is above all else. Right? And Jesus, again, is commending Smyrna, saying that you are keeping me there, and that is the best thing you can do. Right? Is keep me as Lord. Right? The first and the last. And, and, and Jesus is sovereign. He is in charge of the entire world, even over the Roman government who is now torturing and killing the people in the church of Smyrna. Again, earthly suffering doesn't have to affect your spiritual life. Many times it does. Right? And we know that. And that's part of the struggle. Right? But earthly suffering doesn't have to affect your spiritual life. In fact, this idea, this concept, this, this deep spiritual truth within our faith journey is one that James speaks to in James 1, verses 2 through 4, where he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Right? And, and again, perfect, complete, needing nothing. Right? That is describing Jesus. Right? And that's why Jesus is the destination of our journey, because that's where we are headed as followers of Jesus. Right? To be more like Jesus tomorrow than we are today. And when that journey ends at that destination of being like Christ, right, then we will be fully developed, perfect and complete, needing nothing. But guess what? There's a process for us to get there. Right? And that process is going to come with troubles and trials. Right? But yet that perspective right, of saying, even in the midst of suffering, I am rich because I am becoming more like Jesus. Because he's walking with me. Right? And, and he's, he's walking with me. He's holding my hand. Right? And then we see here, um, again, the, the conclusion of this right, is if you stay on the right path, right? if, you, if you stay on the winning side with God, Right, then you will not be harmed by the second death. Wait a minute, there's more than one? Yeah, there is. There is more than one. Right, and in fact, when we, think, when we talk about eternal life, we are talking, when we use that phrase, eternal life, we are talking about the second death, not the first one. Right? Even believers who have eternal life still physically die. Our bodies still wear out. They still stop working. They still get sick. They still get cancer. Right? That's the first death, right? When our physical bodies stop working. Right? The second death is your spiritual life, right? Your soul. That is the second death. Right? That is when you are you receive eternal life, right? And your soul lives with God in heaven for eternity or you aren't with God, right? And that second death is being cast into the eternal lake of fire, right? Which is described later in the book, by the way. Right? And Jesus, again, here alludes to, to what really matters. Right? It's not about your physical death. It's about your second death, right? It's about the eternity of your soul. And that is what is saved when you Receive Jesus as your Savior. 
It is laid out very clearly in Romans 6.23, where it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, eternal life is not referencing your physical death. It is referencing your eternal life or eternal death, the second death, the death of your soul. And as we see here and see this, right, as Jesus calls this out very clearly, right, is, is we have to pause for a second and say, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you 100% without question know that you are saved? Because if you don't, you need to. You need that assurance of knowing that you are going to be with Christ. Because we've all sinned. None of us can make it on our own power or our own will or by being good enough. That's why we need Jesus. And it is a free gift that you just have to accept that gift. And if you've never prayed and accept Christ as your Savior, confess your sin, invite him into your life, I hope you will do that today. Now, if you have, right, then we got to say, okay, now I've, I'm free, set free from the second death, but, but now what's next, right? Because once you receive Christ as your Savior, then what happens is that God takes things that were dead and he makes them alive. Right? Things with no hope and he breathes hope into them. Again, go back to the intro uh, verse 8, and that's exactly what Jesus says, right? Jesus leads the way for us. He's our example to follow. He says that he is the first and the last who was dead but now is alive. And notice that how, how Jesus bookends this entire passage with this idea. Right? That Jesus was dead but has been resurrected to eternal life. And now he says at the very end, he warns us about the second death. right? And says you need to do exactly what Jesus did. Right? Through his power, you be resurrected to eternal life also. And become a new creation. And again, that's literally what we heard Kate talk about in her journey video this morning. right? Being set free, raised to new life. Right? And as we think about that, again, once you have been saved, right, then what do we do next? Right? And that's what Jesus addresses to the church in Smyrna. What do we do next? Well, he gives them two specific things to do next. Okay, the first thing that they need to do next is to not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Again, get the, the chaos in their life is huge. Right? The persecution, the suffering, the poverty, uh, the world around them is horrible. We might be able to identify with how this church felt. Right? And yet, God tells them, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Right? There's nothing in this world you have to be afraid of. Because you're with me. And guess what? I'm the first and the last. I was dead and now I'm alive. Right? And there's a huge hope that comes with that. And the same is true right now for us as it was for them. Don't be afraid. Right? No matter what happens, you don't have to be afraid because you are loved by God. And nothing will change that. 
no matter how much suffering you go through, no matter how bad this world gets, right, that it does not change, that you are loved by God and that your identity is God's child. So don't be afraid. Because when you're loved by God, then it can eradicate any fear. And in fact, when you look through Scripture, and I was even thinking about this, we, this even kind of came up um, through in our small group discussions this last week. As you look at this, of how often fear comes up in God's word. Right? We're told over and over and over again, do not be afraid. And yet, if you talk with people, right, or interact with people, like there is so much anxiety and fear in our world today. And I get it. Like there's a lot to be worried about and afraid of. Right? And yet, we are told over and over and over again, this is one more place in scripture we are told to not be afraid. Why? Why is that such a strong thing? Right, we, we see, again, in 1 John 4, 18 19, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for the fear of punishment. And this shows that we not only fully experience his perfect love, but we love each other because he first loved us. As John is telling us, the same guy that wrote Revelation, right, is telling us, don't be afraid. If you're with God, you, don't, you have nothing to be afraid of. Right, because you're loved. And again, the opposite of fear is love. It's not courage. Because love brings courage. And as we see this, right, he says, tells us to not be afraid. That's the first thing you were told to do. The second thing that they are told to do, okay, that we need to identify with as well as every believer, is not only do we not be afraid, but we also need to pass the test. We need to pass the test. Okay, because the truth is, and that's one of the truths that, that Jesus reveals to this church, right, that is still 100% applicable to us today, is that, that we are being tested. We are being tested. In, in fact, Jesus says right here in this passage that, that they're being tested by the enemy. He literally says the devil is going to throw some of you in prison. Sounds like a test to me. Doesn't sound very nice or enjoyable. Right? That's not something we all volunteer for, is it? Hey, who wants to be thrown in jail by the devil? Yeah, I'll take that one. No, thank you. Right? And yet, we, you see, we're being tested. And again, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life right, when I felt like I've been thrown in, in prison by the devil. Certainly times where I've felt tested and times where I have failed that test and other times that I've passed. Yeah, I remember several years ago when, uh, as many of you know, I, I spent many years in youth ministry and I, I did a lot of speaking in those years. And, and uh, when the boys were little, I, I had spoken, I was a speaker at a week-long camp. And we, we had gone up there, and, and my family was able to come with me, and I was, I was the speaker for that week. Again, we were up there, and we had a great time. The messages went good. Like, God's spirit moved. It was all great. And then it, we left, like, earlier that day before the campers left, and because I'd done the last sermon, we packed up, we started home. And, and it was one of those times, those days, we've all had those days, right, when if it can go wrong, it went wrong. Right, like, kids' attitudes were bad, vehicle issues, like, just, I mean, all kinds of things through the day. 
right? And then we finally get home. Everybody's tired, irritated, right? Like we, we've all had these moments. And then we, we walk in, we get home, we open the garage, and our freezer in our garage had stopped working partway through the week. And wouldn't you know, we had just bought a beef. Right? And literally, there's like blood pouring out of the bottom of the freezer as we open the garage. Right? And I remember in that moment, like, we get, and like I said, we're trying to wrangle the little kids and, you know, stuff, and just the day's been horrible. And we come in and we find this in the garage. And, and I remember we're trying to clean up, trying to salvage some of the meat and kind of all these things. And, and, I, and I remember, again, Maureen and I are out there trying to figure it out. Right? And, and in that moment, I remember I could just. I could just sense this, and, and this kid came out of my mouth in this moment, right? And I, I'll never forget this. And literally what came out of my mouth in that moment was, was, why does God hate us right now? And that feel, I'm like, man, we just, you know, we just spent this week, like, serving him, like, speaking, like, kids found Jesus, like, all this stuff, and now we're being punished, right? And, and, and I, I remember that came in, and like, it's one of those moments, like halfway out of my mouth, as the words coming out of my mouth, I'm like, this is not good. Right, and as soon as that came out of my mouth, I remember Maureen's face, and she just melted. Right, and she just literally started crying in front of me, and I'm just like, except in that moment, I'm like, no, man, what I say next is very important. Right, because I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, I don't believe that to be true. Right, like, where did that come from? Right, I don't believe that for a second. God does not hate us. Right, and in that moment, I knew I had failed the test. Right, and, and again, I just had to, I had to hug Maureen and, and apologize and cry with her and clean up more blood. You know, but in that moment, though, was where I felt like we, again, we were being tested. And in that moment, I knew that I failed. I didn't believe that. I, in fact, I didn't even know where those words came from. And yet, it felt like we had been kicked when we were down. Right? And it was that moment when those human emotions just bubble out. Right? And those words just, just came out, even though I, I never believed them to be true. And yet, we learn over and over again right, from Scripture that we can't trust our emotions, that our emotions lie to us. Right? And in that moment, right, the truth came out, and, it, and the light went on in my own mind and heart. It was like, man, we are being tested, and we are failing. Right? And, and we think about that moment. We can all think about those times. Right, in our lives, where you've, you've felt those situations, right? And, and again, it, what, it, those things were not from God. God didn't hate us. Right? And yet, in those moments is when we have to step back and take, a, take a, a step back for a moment and just say, man, this stinks right now. Right? Like, are, are we suffering? Yes. But I'm still rich. Right, we think about this like a concept, again, that John, who also Revelation, just teaches us in his gospel. Right, in John 10, 10, he says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. 
you know, in that, in that moment or when you're in that moment, right, we need to be able to realize who's really testing. And in that moment, am I going to pass that test? And, and because the enemy is at work against anything that God wants to do. And yet, will we stay the course, right, and know that we're rich no matter what, that, and choose that rich and satisfying life even when everything around us stinks? Because the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And guess what? To follow Jesus, I'm not going to let him. I'm going to decide to fight back, even with just my attitude. Right, but the reality is it's not just the enemy that tests us. They think that the other question I would think, right, does God also test us? And, and again, I think he does. I think we see it's a biblical concept that God will also test us. Now again, but his goal is to give us rich and satisfying life, not to steal, kill, and destroy. Right, and that's what John tells us in this verse, right? But yet God definitely will um, test us to see how strong our faith is. Are we ready for more? Right, in fact, we looked, we looked at this parable just a few weeks ago in our last series, when we looked at the kingdom of heaven parables. Right, but in Matthew 25, 29, this is the parable of the servants, right, or the talents. And it says, this is the conclusion. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Does that sound like a test to anybody else? It sure does to me. Right, and yet, if we pass the test, we are given more. Right, we are given in abundance. Hey, that sounds like being rich, doesn't it? It sure does. As we look at our lives, look at, again, what's good, what's bad, and what we need to do next. I'm saying I am calling all of us as a family of believers, as a church, to prayer. Saying, God, what is next? Right, and what is my role in what is next? Okay, I'm asking that of you as well. Not, I'm praying that prayer, and I hope you will pray that same prayer. Because the reality is we are rich. Right? And we can look as a church and know, again, we are rich. We absolutely are. Right? And what are we going to do with that? Right? Will we be given more because we are found faithful? Right? What's the next thing that God wants for me as an individual? Right, for us as a family of believers within this church, what does that God want for the bigger C church within our community and within you know, our state and our world? As we evaluate our own lives and our own church, we need to keep a proper perspective of the bigger picture of, of what the real battle is and what's going on. As Christ followers, we've signed up to fight in a war. And just as Jesus tells this church and he's telling us that when you're in a war, you get shot at from the enemy. But we've also been told that we get to fight back with the power of God, right? And we've also been told who wins the war, right? Which side are we on? As we think about this and and. And again, what's our next step in our journey? Right? Many of you know, right, as we look at the steps of our journey, that beyond just attending on Sunday, the next step is to get into a small group or a class. The, the, the kind of core foundation of our small groups is sermon discussions. Through this series, um, all of 
every week, the sermon discussions are going to end the same way. Okay, and that is what do you think Oregon Trail needs to learn from the church in and then whatever church we're on that week? Right, will you commit to diligent prayer during the series about how Oregon Trail can continue our mission and what is your role in this effort? And I hope that you will commit to that because that's what I'm asking of all of us is that we will seek the Lord in prayer. What do we need to learn from these churches? Right, what is good and what, what can we do better? And what is my role and what God wants to do through and in Oregon Trail? What's my role? And so we see our theme verse starts with Jeremiah, but then this final thoughts, the same final thought today that we started with last week, right? Because in 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8, it says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And most of all, continue to show deep love for each other for love covers a multitude of sins. Right, and Jesus started with Ephesus, right, about their love growing cold and says that's what you need to do better, right? You need to go back to your first love. You need to love God and love each other. And yet, we see here, right, as we're called to prayer, right, most important of all is to show deep love for each other because that love covers multitude of sins. That love is what counteracts the fear that is so rampant in our world. And the only way that you have that love is if you are a believer of Jesus. Have you accepted him as your Savior? And if you have, what do you do next? We're not afraid. And we're going to pass the test. So again, I don't know where your journey is today, but if you never received Jesus as your Savior, I hope you'll pray and receive him today. If you have, then seek the Lord on what is your next step and commit to taking that next step. And that's the prayer, right? And showing love. So whatever the next step is, I hope you'll take it today. Lord God, we thank you that you're good. God, we thank you that we can trust you to walk with us no matter what we face. And God, for those that are suffering right now, God, we pray that your spirit would overwhelm them. God, that you would set them free. God, that, that you will save them if they need saved. God, that you will step in, Lord, and defend them if they need defended. And God, we commit to you today God, because you are good, because we are loved, God, that we will do our part. Lord, we will fulfill our role. God, we will love you back with everything we have. And Lord, we thank you for making us rich. And God, as we go this week, I pray, Lord, that we would take your spirit with us. Lord, because just as we see from your word, we know, God, that, that, that the end is coming soon. But Lord, we are with you. We have chosen you as our Lord. And God, as we go this week, I pray that you help us to shine your light everywhere we go. God, that we invite others to come with us. God, to find and experience your love. God, so they also will not find the second death. God, as we go this week, Lord, help us to love you and love each other and to show this world who you really are by our own faith as we fulfill the role you've given us to do. God, find us faithful. Give us more. Lord, as we continue to do everything we can for you and live our faith every day this week, guide us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.